Lord, we'd ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, show and guide us into what you would want us to see, and help us to go through this in your son's name. Amen. Acts chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be starting at verse 22. We're continuing the first council of Jerusalem where they make a decision on what to do with Gentiles. And remember they had given some commands to them that all they were really asking them to do was avoid the pollution of idol food offered to idols, avoid fornication, avoid strangled food, and to, to avoid blood. Those were the commands that they were going to put on them. So, verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and the elders of the brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia. Forasmuch as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment, it seems good unto us to be assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul of Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare you well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they were gathered, when they gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after that, they tarried there a space. They were let go in the peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. And Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Okay. So the apostles, we've had this first... Council of Jerusalem, um, and the apostles, rather than just sending a letter, send representatives so that they now will hear a word from people from Jerusalem. Why would they do this? Well, just to prevent anybody from coming along and saying, well, this was from Paul and Barnabas. Um, so here, here's, their, here's their leaders, and they picked um, Barnabas, uh, uh, Judas rather, and we don't know much about Judas. We don't hear anything about him much after this. Uh, he, was, he was chosen. He's a, and some people believe that he was a brother of Jesus. And Silas. And Silas is going to be very prominent from this point on. He goes with Saul on the second and third trips, uh, missionary trips. So he's going to be an interesting person. And their letter was kind of interesting. The apostles... And they say, the apostles, elders, and brethren send greeting unto you, brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia. I find their greeting interesting because there are also Jews in those churches. 
And, but they're writing this letter to the Gentiles specifically because it was the Gentiles who were being harassed, uh, being told that you have to become Jews to be able to be a follower of Christ. And I'm very happy that they made this decision that we didn't have to become Jewish to become followers of Christ and keep all the laws we can't keep. And so there was this process going on. And then they're going, you know, it's a very formal letter. For as much as we have heard that certain went out from us having troubled you with words, subverting your souls. And this word for troubled is literally to agitate, to cause an inner com uh, commotion. And this is kind of an interesting thing. How many times do people do things and churches do things that cause inner commotion and trouble us? If you listen to anybody, you know, many preachers on the, on the radio, oftentimes they'll give you all these, you'll hear some very strange things. And they kind of cause problems. And then subverting, turning you from the right side, literally. And this is something that was very interesting because they said you had to be circumcised and keep the law. And then he go, we did not give that commandment. We did not tell them to go see you. And this is very important. This is one of the reasons why I encourage us to listen to other pastors and everything. But we want to be very careful about who we listen to. Because it is easy to listen to teachers who can walk you astray. And be listening and keep yourself from being subverted from the right and understanding. Because there, there we were being taught, number one, you had to be circumcised and that you had to keep the laws. And what were they saying in essence? Jesus is not enough. You know, Jesus' sacrifice was not enough to get you to heaven is what these people were teaching. Now, we understand, and this is hard for them because they started out Jewish and they're, and they're falling under the Jewish, remember, they're falling under Jewish protection, so in one sense, it's understandable. You guys are getting saved and you're not Jews, you have to be Jews. But what they didn't, what they really don't realize, and they, they probably did not fully understand, what they were really saying is Jesus wasn't enough to get you to heaven. You have to do certain things. And unfortunately, even in Christian circles, this becomes a problem. We'll teach you, you know, uh, churches will teach that you have to get saved by Jesus, and he's the, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to a father except by him. And then they will tell you, you've got to do certain things to prove you're a Christian. And it's a hard line to, to, to walk along because we do understand that when we're changed, we will, when we're saved, we will change. But it's not the works that get us saved. It's not the works that prove that we're saved. It's just a way to be able to show it. And James show, said, you know, show me that you are converted by your works, you know, without your works, and I'll show you that I am saved by my works. And basically what James was saying is, if you're not saved and you don't have works, or if you're saved and you don't have works, there's no way that you can prove it. He never said you weren't saved. He just said, how can you show it? And these guys are coming out and they're trying to say, well, unless you do these things, and if you've been around churches long enough, you've probably heard these, you know, these type of things. You've got to do X, Y, Z. You know, don't drink, don't, don't uh, smoke, don't, don't gamble, don't do this, don't do this. Come to church. 
Uh, if you go back far enough, it would men go to church in your suits. Don't ever go to church unless you're wearing your suit. Ladies, don't, don't ever go to church unless you're wearing a dress and you have long hair and all these other things that came along with the rules that were put down on people that are not biblical. And so we want to be careful with that. And they go in there and they send this. And then it said in verse 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And I love this. You know, they're giving, they're giving honor to Barnabas and Paul. And remember, neither one of those men were really part of the Jerusalem fellowship. Paul had gone in and he said in, a, in one of the epistles, after he got saved in Damascus, he spent three years in Arabia, then he came back to Damascus, and eventually he said he went to Jerusalem and he met with Peter and a few of the disciples for a short time. He had never been one of them. Matter of fact, when he first went to see them, if you remember, they wouldn't even see him. They didn't want to see him because they thought it was a trick because he was the one that was trying to destroy them. And they thought that his salvation, this whole thing was a trick that he was you know, trying to burrow into them and find out who they were so they could be arrested. And so now they're saying, we've accepted them. They're beloved. And then it says, they are men that hazard their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know, this, we know the story. Saul uh, stoned outside of uh, Lystra. <laughs> uh, chased out of towns, you know, towns that, you know, everywhere he went. And had all these problems. Everywhere he goes, he has problems. People are chasing him out of town. They're criticizing him. Uh, up to this point, he hasn't faced half of the stuff he's going to face on his second and third journeys. Uh, but he's, they're saying he's, they've been willing to give their life if necessary. And this is something that is very important. What are we willing to give for Christ? And this is something very important. I, I know this one individual, they got upset because somebody did something that, would, that they felt hurt their testimony. And I'm going... And I actually shared with her, you know, are you really concerned? Is God's it's your testimony before God. What do you care what other people think? As long as you didn't do something that caused it, let God be your defense. And this is very important. You know, what are we willing to do? These guys, these martyrs that go through, you know, there's a lot of people that looked at the martyrs and said, just as they did with Job, what bad things did they do to deserve, you know, getting martyred? Now, why did they get martyred and somebody else didn't get martyred? And we see this over and over. It's so easy for us as people to try to judge other, others. You know, and it, it's, it's, it's human nature. You know, well, why did that person get judged and the, the other person didn't get judged? I thought they were better, but now they, there must have been something really bad in their life for them to be judged like that. Uh, or even worse, uh, we tend to judge people for the things that God is already is working on in our life. Trying to make ourselves, well, God, I'm not as bad as that person. You know, look at that person over there, God. You know, why are you pushing on me so hard? And we try to compare ourselves to other people. And this, we do this. It's, it's easy to do. It's, it's natural to do. And yet God is saying, I don't care what others do. My, your, your comparison is with me. The only problem is we don't like to compare ourselves to God because when we compare ourselves to God, we look pretty bad. 
And so we want to compare ourselves to other people. And usually, we try to compare ourselves to people that are worse than us, or that we think is worse than us. You know, we're not going to pick somebody better than us and say, well, you know, I'm not, I don't match up to them either. Uh, and so this is something that's very important for us. We're not to be comparing ourselves one to another. The body is made up of a lot of people, some better, some worse. And even the ones that are better or worse in other areas, there's nobody that's perfect. And so I can pick somebody that I'm better than, but they've got areas where they're probably better than me. And it doesn't do any good to be able to compare and say, but they have said these men have gone out and they've, they've put their life on the line. And as I've said so many times in the Bible studies and even this morning, hard times are coming for us. We need to be prepared for that. We may be hazarding our lives to be able to share Christ. And the amazing thing is, when you look at these people behind the Iron Curtain that have had persecution, it doesn't shut them up to talk about Jesus. As a matter of fact, they go out and talk about Jesus more than most people in America talk about Jesus, even though it will end up putting them in prison and jail, uh, which makes me wonder what it means for us as Christians. You know, why are we so quiet about God? And when it doesn't cost us much in this country at this moment, hopefully, as it gets harder and harder, we'll open up and we'll be more bold, knowing that it is a testimony. And it's an interesting world that we live in because our world is changing. Our world is changing. What God calls sin is being accepted by people. You know, it's been, been accepted for fornication for a long time. Just live together, sleep together, have one night stands all over the place. Now homosexuality is becoming the big, the big thing. And I've been really noticing even on the TV commercials, there's pictures of homosexuals on almost every TV commercial anymore. And they don't make it obvious that they're, they're homosexuals except for the way that they're hanging on each other. Uh, you know, but it is just one of those things. Well, because they're pushing the agenda. They're, they're pushing the agenda of the world. And it's a really hard thing. I'm getting to where I don't want to watch. I mean, it was hard enough to watch TV, and now I don't want to watch any TV because of all the garbage that's on it. You know, garbage on the commercials. Even if you're watching a halfway, halfway decent show, there's garbage on the commercials. That's why I watch my because there's no commercials. <laughs> I never watch Yeah. So in verse 27, it says, We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall tell you the same things by mouth. In other words, we read you this letter. Now, just in case you think it's Paul and, Barnab uh, Paul and Barnabas that wrote this letter and bringing it to you, we're sending witnesses from Jerusalem to say this is what has been decided. And, uh, and it's very interesting. And it says, For it seemed good, verse 28, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now, this is the one place where I disagree with this. And I'm not disagreeing with the word of God because it's telling us what happened. But I'm disagreeing with the disciple, the apostle, saying it was the Holy Spirit. Because we're going to find out a couple of these things were not restricted to them later on when Paul writes, writes to them. All right. So these things that they're being restricted from. To abstain from meats offered to idols. Okay, that's the first one. 
Paul in Corinthians tells the people, it's no big deal if you eat food offered to idols unless it causes your brother to stumble. Because Paul goes, you know, those, those who are able to eat the meat understand that that idol is just a hunk of wood or a hunk of, hunk of metal and there's, no, there's nothing wrong with the, with the meat offered to it. He goes, but if you're eating with a brother who's bothered by it, don't eat it. Right? And this is, so that one is going to be thrown out as we go in. And from blood, and we don't know much about what they are, but this, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this was forbidden in the uh, Pentateuch. And literally, it's the idea that people you drank blood in their ceremony, religious ceremonies for the power. And they preferred human blood to, to drink. And it wasn't being siphoned out of them by, by uh, a blood drive. It was taken by force when they, when they sacrificed them. So this was what this was referring to, the blood that was being used. Now, the Jews took it to the extreme. They made sure that everything they, they uh, ate had no blood in it, was drained completely. Um, and so this is a Jewish thing being brought to them, but also the same thing. Don't participate in these religious ceremonies that drank the blood. Verse 29. Uh, abstain from offer, uh, meat offered to idols. Abstain from blood. Abstain from things strangled. Uh, again, because this involves the blood. And part of the Jewish rules were that the, you would cut, you, you literally, to kill something, you killed it quickly with a cut across the throat and drained the blood. Uh, so that you cut its carotid artery and it bled and it bled out, and they didn't want things to suffer, uh, and that comes from the idea that God gives life to everything, and you did not want it to suffer. If you had to, if you were going to eat meat, you wanted it to be killed cleanly, efficiently, and effectively, and so they did not strangle the the animal, and then they said, and to and from fornication. Um, and fornication, we've talked about this before. That's the word pornea. We get pornography out of it. It is not just uh, sex outside of marriage, but it is literally any of the sexual uh, perversions that are out there. So, they, so that's the one that that's the big one that's going to stick. And it says, from which, if you keep yourself, you shall do well. All right. Uh, you will prosper. You will do. You will do well. Uh, many people, many of the scholars say that these, this little section, verse twenty-nine, is considered the laws of Noah, uh, the the laws that God gave to Noah before the law, before the law, um, is, is what the rabbis. So they're basically giving them what they thought the laws were from before, before before uh, Moses and the law. Now, having done that. They went beyond a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with what it is. But Paul, like I say, Paul is going to tell the Corinthians, if you want to eat meat offered to idols, uh, and again, when he was talking about it in Corinth especially, they would offer these things. And most of the time, the whole animal was not burnt on a burnt offering. So they would take the parts of it that were burnt, and then they would, at the bottom of the, at the, bottom of the below the temple, they'd have a market. So the people had brought the best meat, the best animals to the market. 
they would sacrifice them and then they'd go to, they'd go to the market and, and they'd make money by selling the rest of the animal. And Paul told the Corinthians, you know, you want to go buy the best of the animal? It was usually cheaper than the other, the other stuff we would get at the butchers. And he goes, you want to go buy that food and eat it? Be my guest. If you're not bothered the fact that those idols are just nothing, and you recognize that they're nothing, go eat, go eat it. And Paul had no problem with that. The blood, that is part of it, because when we look at it, blood was part of their, their offering sacrifices and stuff. So that one is going to be held strangled, uh, is one, and then fornication. So these are not too bad of things. And they said, just, just live these, these rules. Now, as they go on, they're going to understand grace better. And this is the problem that we have even to this day. Where, how far does grace go and how far does law go? <laughs> uh, and I don't know the full extent of that. I do know that God's rules are there for a reason. When God gives us rules, he expects us to follow them. But I also understand that his grace is magnificent. And if I'm going to err with anybody, I'm always going to err on the side of grace. Uh, now, if somebody's out there committing fornication or adultery or they're telling lies or they're stealing, I'm going to tell them that they are sinning. Uh, but beyond that, I'm not going to sit there and judge them. I'm not their judge. They stand or fall before God. And the more we learn that people stand or fall before God, the better off we're going to be. Uh, my job as a teacher and a pastor is to tell people what God says. But my job is not to sit there and judge people. That's, again, it's between them and God and where they're going to go with this. And this is so important for us to understand. Verse 30 says, So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. They have been troubled, all right? And you've got to picture this. They're in their church at Antioch and these other places, People are coming from Jerusalem saying that they represent the apostles, telling these Gentiles that you have to become Jews to be able to accept, be, be accepted by God and go to heaven. Uh, that would be like us in our church having somebody coming from, uh, who knows, we don't have any higher up, higher up but uh, you know, there are churches that have higher ups. You know, let's say you're one in one of those churches and somebody from really high up in the organization comes in and says, you've got to do this, this, and this to be, to be able to go to heaven. And you're going, that's, I don't, that's not what I'm being taught. And it's a big deal to become a Jew for these people because first off, they've got to be circumcised. Then they're going to have to agree to obey all the laws of God. And that's not what Paul and Barnabas have been teaching them. Paul and Barnabas have been teaching them you're saved by grace. You're saved by what Jesus has done for you. So there's a huge confusion going on. And so there, again, remember we said that they were being subverted and put into turmoil. And along comes this message, and it says that they, it was, they rejoiced for the consolation. And consolation literally is the idea of comfort. They were being comforted. We're not saying that you now have to become a Jew. You're not going to have to go. You're not going to have to be circumcised. You're not going to have to follow the 613 laws in the Old Testament. You can trust in Jesus. 
And most of them were willing to give up these other things if they were following Christ. You know, to be, give up fornication, to give up, you know, to kill the animals cleanly was not a big deal. Uh, and to avoid the idols. So this is a really good rejoicing for them. You're not bound by law. And this is where people will get into. There, there are certain things that we know we're bound by. The, the Ten Commandments are still God's commandments. All right? Just because we live under grace does not mean we go out and steal murder and, and commit adultery and fornication and all these things and, and covet everything. We're still bound by the certain thou shalt nots. But I also don't have to be circumcised. I don't have to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. I don't have to, to uh, do a lot of these ritualistic things that the Jews do. Is there anything wrong with it? Not necessarily. But we're not bound by that. This is the Messianic movement that's coming out and becoming a really big thing. We're starting to see this whole Messianic movement come back. How we should be doing and worshiping the way the Jews worshiped. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting way to think. Um, I've had to deal a lot with the Messianic uh, element out there in the prison when I was a chaplain. And they sound the shofar on the, on the, on the feast days and, they, and, and on the Sabbath day. And they, they do their meetings on, the, on Saturday and they follow all the prescribed rules and regulations of the Jews for a meeting. And, you know, and it's like, what happened to grace? What happened to grace? Now, I understand there's a lot of beauty in what, what happens, all right? There's a lot of beauty in this. If you've looked at how the Passover is happening, and one day maybe we'll get one of these Jewish guys to come up here and, and go through all the, all the beauty of the Passover and how Jesus is shown in the Passover. There's a lot of beauty in, in what we see for Jesus in each of the offerings and activities. But by the same token, I don't want to bind myself to those, to those old ways either. You know, because they start to become ritual. And if they just become ritual, they become what Christmas has become to Christians. Just a whole bunch of things that are done every year, but nothing, nobody really thinks about what they're doing. Or when we get to Resurrection Sunday or Easter, people just do things because that's the way they've always been done and we don't think about what we're doing or why we're doing it. And I don't want to get us into a place where we're saying we're doing things just because. Uh, we have enough of that. We sing songs and we don't know what we're singing half the time or we're not paying attention to what we're singing. We're, you know, we do things in the same way all the time and don't think about how we're doing it. And this is very important that we don't just keep repeating. Jesus warned us, do not keep, use repetitive prayers like the pagans do. That's what the Jews did. That's what the pagans do. It's what various denominations do. There are many groups that will say the Lord's Prayer every single time they meet. The only problem is when you listen to them, they're just repeating words. There's no, no power in those words. And they're wonderful words. There's nothing wrong with the Lord's Prayer. But if you say it every single time you meet to the point where, okay, it's now time to say the Lord's Prayer, and people just go, you know, ramble off the Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and they just ramble it off without thinking about what they're saying or how they're saying it. And that's the problem with repetition. It's the problem with our songs. We get so used to the songs that we forget 
to listen to the words that we're singing. Most of the songs that we sing have a lot of power in them if we would listen and pay attention and look to see what we're singing. And so they were there. And it says in verse 32, And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So they were encouraging. They were calling them to their side. And they were making them firm. They went up there with the right attitude. They weren't trying to, they weren't trying to say, well, you guys are a bunch of losers and hypocrites and all this stuff. They were going up there and saying things like, this church is really doing good. You guys are really, you guys are really ministering. You're doing good. Just follow these, follow these activities and you'll be doing and you'll do well. And this is a, again, the idea on here is we don't really catch this. And we talked about this, I think, two weeks ago. We don't catch how big a deal this is. These are Jewish people telling Gentiles that to be followers of God, they don't have to be Jews. And we don't really comprehend that because we're Gentiles and we've come from a Gentile-based Christianity where we may go too far the other direction and, and totally reject the Judaic. And it's important for us to understand the Judaic behind our roots. And this is why some of the Messianic movement is good. To understand what is done and why we do it is good. To get bound up in those rules is not good. And this is one of the reasons I like the Old Testament and bring out the Old Testament, because I want us to understand what they were thinking. This was a hard decision for the apostles. They grew up as Jews. They grew up being taught that you followed all 613 laws without exception to please God. They were brought up with the idea that you went out and you offered your, sacrifice, your sacrifices. You went to the temple three times a year. This was their norm, their rules that they lived under. They also understood that they couldn't, they couldn't keep all those rules, which is why they're going, well, Jesus died for their sins. He paid for their sins, so now... What does this mean to us? What does it mean that when Jesus paid for all the sins, how do we live? And this is a big issue for them. Should be kind of an issue for us because it is. How do I now live now that I know Jesus? Does it mean I get to go out and do whatever I want? Or am I going to follow his rules? The longer I walk with God, the more he makes me follow his rules. And then he teaches me more rules that I never even thought about when I was 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when I first started following him. So he goes, these are what you're going to do. And then I love this, verse 13. And after that, they tarried a space, and there they let them go in peace to, from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. So the men who went there stayed, and I love the way it says, for a space. It doesn't tell us how long a space is. Uh, we do know that the word there is for a period of time. And we don't know, was it a couple weeks? Was it a month? Was it a year? Was it two years? We don't know how long they stayed there. And I think part of it was they were looking around, seeing what are these Gentiles going to do? How far are these Gentiles going to take their freedom? How, how well are they listening to what we've been saying to them? I think they were doing a little bit of that, watching what was going on, watching the Holy Spirit work among Gentiles, which 
would blow their minds. God is working with Gentiles. They're doing miracles. They're bringing people to Christ. They're growing a church. And remember, these were men that grew up with the idea that Gentiles were born to go to hell. Plain and simple. So this is a big deal. They're going to a Gentile church, watching Gentiles worship God, bringing other Gentiles in to worship God, and just being amazed that God does not act the way they thought they did, that he does. And this is something that I have seen over my lifetime. Every time I think I, I know what God's going to do in a situation, he doesn't do it the way I think. And, you know, I've, you know I catch myself every once in a while, even, even today when I'm praying, you know, God, it would really be nice if you fixed this. And, you know, and I catch myself trying to go, well, you know, God, uh, maybe you could do it this way. And I'm going, what am I doing? God knows how to fix this a whole lot better than I do. Uh, you know, uh, and this is where they're at. They're seeing God do things totally different than they would do it. Totally different than they have been taught. And one of the hardest things in our lifetime is to change ways that we've been taught in the past. These guys were raised as Jews, seeing God work outside of Jew, Jew, Judaism. We sometimes get raised as Christians and we think this is the way it's done. I went to a church where they said, well, this isn't the Baptist way of doing things. It was a Baptist church. And I would ask them, well, what does that mean? Well, it's not the way I've always done it in my lifetime. I'm going, you know what? I'm not worried about that. It's the way I've seen it done other places. So, you know, well, that's just not the right way. Well, no, it's not the way you think is the right way. And, you know, we need to be very careful that we don't judge others by what God has taught us. Because... Each one of us is taught in a way that we can handle. Uh, there's times when I look at somebody and go, God, why, why can they do something and I can't? I'm not doing it anymore because I've kind of grown a little bit, but I remember when I was a new Christian. God, you said I couldn't do that. Why, can't they, why, are they, why aren't you talking to, to them or, or are they not listening? And they're probably looking at me the same way. God, you told me that I couldn't do something. Why, why could he do that? God works at us all at different times, in different places, and at different speeds by what we need. And I've given the example, you know, sometimes people will get bothered by somebody smoking a cigarette. Now, I don't like, smoke, I don't like cigarette smoking. I don't like anything, you know, but, but it's going to stand and fall before God. And if I get after somebody who's smoking a cigarette, you know, and I'm trying to push them to quit smoking a cigarette, God may be saying, would you leave them alone there? You know, they're out there picking, picking up a prostitute every, every night and you're worried about them smoking. You know, you don't know what's really going on in their life. And, you know, we need to be very careful because God knows exactly what to work on in a person's life. And the most important thing is for, to, for us to really get to know is there's one very important truth. There's one God and we're not him. And I cannot be God in somebody else's life. And that's something that's very important. Because I've had people, well, well you're the teacher. You, you tell me what to do. No, I can't tell you what to do. It's between you and God. I can advise you from what the Bible says about things, but I cannot tell you what to do in your life. Because I'm having enough trouble getting my own life and straightened out. I can't be taking your life on as well. And we all need to be in that position where we're going, an individual stands or falls before God. And this is very important for us to be able to understand because it starts to give us great peace. 
when I'm not trying to control everybody else's life, I don't have to worry about them. I tell you all, all the time, my job as a pastor is very easy. I teach the word of God. I'm not trying to control people's lives. There are pastors out there that will try to control people's lives and tell them what to do and how to do it and all that stuff and then be bummed out that they're not, people aren't doing what they told them to do. I am so God that I am not God. All I do is say, this is what God says. Now you do what you want to do with it. And so all of this is going on. And it says, Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. So they stayed in Antioch doing the same thing they've done everywhere else, except now they're in Antioch. And this is the beauty. Wherever Paul went, he was an evangelist. And I've shared with you, I love being around evangelists, you know, a true evangelist, because they will preach and they will teach and they will witness all the time. And Paul and Barnabas are that, are that way. All right, verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take John, whose, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought it not good to take him who departed from, from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, confirming the churches. All right. We're getting ready to start the second missionary trip for Paul. And so, doesn't again, it doesn't tell us how long. They've been working in Antioch, and Paul gets itchy feet that God says it's time to move on. Time to go back to our churches that we've, we've talked to. And he goes to Barnabas and says, I think we should go visit all the churches that we st have already started. And Barnabas says, it sounds good to me. And then Barnabas goes, we need to take John Mark. <laughs> Now remember, John Mark went with him on the first trip, didn't stay very long with him, and went home. We do not know why John Mark left. Nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us why he left. Was he so young that he wasn't doesn't do, uh, young that he didn't want to uh, suffer? Did something happen back home? But Paul held a grudge against John Mark. At this point in Paul's life. He is not very forgiving. <laughs> We're going to find out, though, that later on, Paul is going to say, he is of great benefit to me. He is going to have forgiven him. He's going to tell the, the church later on in several places to honor John Mark, uh, 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 Colossians 4.10, Philippians 24, uh, 2 Timothy 4.11, all these different places, he says, John Mark, he's good. <laughs> he serves God. At this point, Paul is not very forgiving. <laughs> it has good news for us. When we have trouble forgiving people, we can remember that, that Paul, one of the greatest Christians in the, in the history of the church, had the same problem. <laughs> Now, he's going to forgive him later on, but when he starts, 
he has no sympathy at all for, for him. He's, he's like, he departed from me. I am never going to have anything to do with him again uh, as far as a missionary. I love it that Paul grows, but I also like the fact that this is a weakness that we see in Paul. But God uses this for good. Because now, instead of one missionary team, Paul and Barnabas, at least temporarily, seem to break fellowship. And Barnabas says, I am taking John Mark. No matter what you say, Paul, I am taking John Mark. And he takes John Mark, and he gets on a ship and heads out to follow the way that they, that they had gone before. Paul goes out and, you know, this is a sharp contention. He doesn't know what to do. And it says in verse 40, Paul choose, chose Silas, and they departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So the church is being involved in saying, Paul, you know, you can take Barnabas, you can take Silas. It's not, you know, that's he he'd be a good choice. And so we have now instead of one team, two teams going out. And this is just one of those pictures of Romans 8:28. All things work together for good. Satan is trying to divide Barnabas and Saul. His hope was, I'm gonna split them up and no teams go out. God says, Satan, you're going to try to split them up, but I'm going to send two teams out. You know, you're, you're, going, you're going to try to break up my teams. You're going to try to make it so that nobody does anything, and I'm going to send two teams out to be missionaries. And, you know, it's wonderful to watch how God turns what appears to be bad into good. And in our lifetimes, if we look at what happens in our lifetime, we see the same thing happen in our life. Every time something seems to be bad... Given enough time, we can see how God uses it for good. And if we don't, we'll be shown in heaven how it was used for good. But here is a big potential split. The, the potential is that nobody's going to go out. Because Paul's idea was to go back and visit all the churches they established. Now you've got two teams. You know, what, what's the plan? So Paul has a slightly different plan. Barna, Barnabas takes John Mark, and he heads to... Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, which was the first place they went. Paul takes Silas. He goes straight north. He starts with the churches they ended with and works his way up and around into Asia Minor. So we have now two teams going out to do missions work. And this is the beauty that God always will get the best of what's going on and, and see what's happening as we go forward. I love that God always makes something good out of something. And it's a beautiful thing to watch what he does. I've loved watching what God does in people's lives when everything seems to be falling apart and God says, I'm still in control. I have a plan. I will make this work. And very important because I can tend to be like Paul. I, I am a driven person. I will make things happen one way or the other. I, and that can get me in trouble sometimes with God. Because sometimes God's putting the roadblocks in my path to say, stop and pay attention. I don't want you to go this way. 
And I'm saying, God, I'm going this way, and I don't. And I'm thinking these roadblocks are from Satan. I'm going to go over and through them, under, you know, uh, around them. But I'm going to go where I think I'm supposed to go. And you know, oftentimes God is saying, Well, no, I'm putting those road. Those aren't Satan's roadblocks. Those are me putting in the roadblocks. Would you please start listening? And I get headstrong. I'm a type A driven person. I can, I will drive through and I will make things happen. The only problem is sometimes it's not what God wanted. <laughs> we need to be able to listen to his voice. Now, sometimes the roadblocks are there by Satan to say, are you, I'm just trying to stop us again. We stop and we say, God, what is it you want me to do? We need to take a moment when we see something in the path and keeping us from going forward. There is a time when we say, God, is this Satan or is it you? And be ready to listen. If it's Satan, plow through them. Because, or actually, God will clear them out of the way, but, but you know, we go forward. If it's God, stop and find out what he wants. And I, I am one that I like to just plow through. God's almost got to knock me out to get me to, to not plow through because that's my personality. Once I decide to do something, I'm going to do it. So I had better pray to be doing what God wants me to do. And this is kind of what Paul's at. Paul's going, I'm going to do things my way. Yeah, and I, and I, kind, of, I kind of appreciate that Paul's so much like me in that, er, in that area. Or I'm so much like he is. You know, I'm going to do things my way. Yeah, Barnabas, no, there's no way I'm taking John Mark. He abandoned us. You want to take him? You go ahead. You go take, and I can almost hear the comment, Barnabas, you really want to take him? You take that loser. I'm going to go, I, you know, I'm not going with him. And later on he goes, John Mark has proved himself. He has proved himself to me. To me. And this is the beauty of what goes on. When God is on somebody's side, they can fail dozens of times, and God can still lift them up and make something out of them. And we have to be ready to forgive, ready to accept the work of God in somebody's life. Yeah. And God has taken a long time to make many changes in my life. And I sometimes wonder what we would think of somebody if we knew them 20 years earlier. Uh, if we knew where they were 20 years before we met them and going, wow, this person is going to be used by God? I'm, I'm going to be used by God? <laughs> and we can look at that and say, wow, God can do great things. He may take a long time to get them done because of their stubbornness. He may take a long time to get them ready for what, he, what he's going to use them for but they will be ready in God's time. And we need to be able to understand being quiet before God, listening to God and what he's asking us to do. And we're going to end here on a very rare occasion. I ended a couple minutes early. So we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Bless us as we go about our business this week. Guide and lead us in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. 
You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.